If you've been working in affiliates even for a while, you'll know that some of the best insights come when meeting up over a coffee or a beer, whether that's at a PMA brunch, an after work beer with industry friends, or a time away from the Affiliate Summit show floor. Which is exactly where Steve Brown and Mark Smith met up with industry legend Adam Weiss. They talked about his background in publishing, his Linkshare, Rakuten journey, and his more recent role consulting with some of the world's leading publishers. Talking attribution, publisher types, and a whole lot more. Can you introduce yourself, please, Adam? Because so many people in the industry know you, but actually, you've obviously worked at Rapiton, and it's interesting to know what you did before coming into the industry. So, we'd love you to have a bit of an introduction, please. Uh, sure. Thanks for having me, Steve. I've been in the affiliate industry for, yikes, 20 years-ish. And like you said, I spent the majority of my time at Rakuten and the last five years, just about, I'm pushing five years of doing my own thing, consulting, advising, coaching in the affiliate space, specifically on the publisher side of the business. Before Rakuten, I worked at uh, About.com for a little while, and uh, which is now essentially Dot Dash Meredith. This was a long, long, long time ago. And before that, I was at a company called 24-7 media, okay. uh, which is part of, like I can't even remember anymore, part of one of the big holding companies now. Um, yeah, it was a display advertising business. Correct. Yeah. I'm going to guess at Dentsu, but I remember it well. It's a long time ago, 2470. Yeah, yeah, so that was, that was pre-racked. And even before, way before that, I actually started my career in publishing at Simon & Schuster. Oh, really? Pre-internet days. So, <laughs> On the marketing side of publishing? Actually, like in the copyrights department there. It was has nothing to do with what I was doing. I think I had, you know, it's a good place. It was at that point in my career, I just finished college, and it was like, here was a job that was relatively close to where I was living, and it gave me an opportunity to kind of get some exposure into just big company working world. And then, you know, like I said, it's pre-internet, and I saw that's where my sort of interests were, were being directed, and I was fortunate to land at 24-7 with minimal online marketing experience, if any, and then it sort of all took off from there. But that was the amazing thing. In those days, no one really had internet experience. So Correct. It was a, <laughs> if you were prepared to take a punt, you could do something interesting. Yeah. And 24-7, if I remember right, it grew like billion and was one of the leaders of display advertising. It was. And then a lot of display advertising just sort of withered over how many years, a decade, and then became RTV, really, didn't it? Yeah, yeah, this yeah. was way pre-RTV. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it was a good experience, that one. So you ended up, if I remember right, essentially running Rakuten in the US or globally? In the US. You know, there was a lot of overlap with the other regions, but yeah. I mean, I did a lot of things before I was running the, the yeah. North American affiliate business. But yeah, for my last almost four years, I think, at what was, I think then we were Rakuten Linkshare, Rakuten Advertising, I forget yeah. to change the name a lot, but always Linkshare in my heart, um, yeah. was the general manager of, of North America. Okay. And the domain that Rakuten still uses is Linked Synergy, so the legacy to, to the old Linkshare days. It lives on. So, What's interesting is we've got three people here who have all run networks. So I've been with you now, Mark Moran, Affiliate Future in okay. the UK. 
obviously read Bias, and you've obviously read Brighton. And I think people don't realise how difficult it is to run a network and the competing challenges that you have on your time as a business leader in what is actually quite a complex industry, although it can be very, very simple to, to describe in one sentence where publishers get paid a commission for referring sales to advertisers. But beneath that, you've got technology, you've got people, you've got sales, you've got account management. And then in affiliate marketing, you're reliant on the rules that browsers set for you, the rules that legislators set for you. And I think it's now is quite a challenging period, in my mind, for the people who are at the very top of the business who are having to make very difficult decisions to what do we do about setting tracking with consent platforms, what we, do we do about the fact that Apple and Google essentially make their own rules for how cookies work. I'd be interested if you could share some of your thoughts about some of the difficulties that people running networks have at the moment and therefore how people should be sympathetic to them and actually also help them. So how should publishers recognise the difficulties of networks? How should advertisers recognise the difficulties of networks and work collaboratively? Well, that's a lot to unpack. <laughs> it is. From where I sit today, there's complexity to every part of this business network, whether you're a publisher, an advertiser, an agency, a network, a third-party technology, if you will. There's yeah. a lot of complexity to it because there are so many different stakeholders mm -hmm. in, in the relationship at the end of the day. So there is a lot to consider. And from the network perspective, and candidly, it's been a while since I've, I've yeah. sat in that seat, but you do have to think about all sides of the equation. I always think of the network as sort of, if you're looking at a map of a highway system, it's sort of that interchange in the middle where everyone gets off and on. Absolutely. And I think working at a network, I've always felt that I was fortunate, maybe even lucky to start my affiliate career at a network because you really sit at the sort of nucleus of everything that happens. Yeah, and I talk about being the roundabout of the industry. I still have to think sometimes, is the publisher the customer or is the publisher the supplier? Yeah, it's true. Like, you know, everyone, I think, thinks about that a lot. At the end of the day, everyone's a customer, right? Yeah. you got to balance all sides. And then even from a network perspective, you have agencies and you have other technologies that are helping your publishers and advertisers that you need to potentially integrate with as well. So you got a lot of, maybe, a lot of customers, maybe constituents, who you have to consider when you're pulling their I'm going to correct your statement. It's a lovely one-liner. Publishers get paid eventually for the sales that they drive to advertisers. And I think one of the biggest challenges in this market is when you compare it to other advertising channels, the, the payment routes are, let's say, deferred in many cases. I mean, you, you hear crazy things like 120, 150 day payment processes. And it must be very hard, therefore, for some publishers to really invest into this business. I mean, you're now consulting with publishers. Mm -hmm. Is that something you see improving? Is it something you see that's a barrier to this market? I think it depends on the size of the publisher mm -hmm. and what funding they have to be able to support it. To be honest, I'm not heavily involved handling you know, payment terms, mm -hmm. but I think if you're at the very early stage of building a business and needing to invest, it does become a factor. If you're a large, large publisher, 
like it's rack not tin, top sure. cash back, etc. And I don't know for sure, but I would assume probably a little bit easier to, to, to there's a float for them for a little bit I, for them yes but then if you think of the cashback mechanism for the user mm-hmm. the user ends up waiting a very long time right, for the cashback so uh, it's, it's an interesting challenge in the industry that's not being resolved but I think as a network you've got some very dominant suppliers who get quite vocal about issues that they don't necessarily understand a lot of the suppliers, the publishers, who say, well, why doesn't tracking just work? Why can't you just pay us on time? Why do commission rates change at a moment's notice and we've got to suck it up? And actually, when you run a network, you sort of know some of the answers to those. But sometimes you, you don't want to be too honest with the answer because part of it relates to who your customers actually are, the advertisers. And partly it's down to advertiser inadequacy at times. And the advertisers not appreciating the complexity of the channel either. Yeah, I mean, I think to your point about tracking working, payments on time and such, I think it, what it really speaks to is fragmentation in the industry and that you're dealing with, you know, the tracking, although it, it certainly, it can vary based on an implementation with an advertiser, it makes it that much more complex for the publisher to understand this advertiser's on real-time reporting and this advertiser's on some type of server-to-server or, or, or API-based reporting, or this advertiser reports on ship date, and this advertiser is travel, so they report on consumption of a, a rental or a, a booking or something. So having to sort of manage all that as a publisher becomes very complex and given the fact that just every advertiser is different, you know, I don't know if there's one fell swoop where you could you could have a solution across the board, but you have options and then you need to understand what those options are. Yes, yeah, so that's interesting. So in the UK there's a network optimized focuses on finance. And I do wonder whether they therefore succeed in getting their clients to have more consistent terms for that industry because they're known for that and they can put more coherent voice back to their advertisers because their publishers are sort of more consistent in what they want to do. Yeah, I'm not familiar with them, but but it sounds right. It sounds like it should be. And I think also other complexities when you think about financial services come into play, clients, what's it shown on site, updating of content, things like that become really important as well on top of tracking. Yeah. It's actually a really, really interesting point that Adam made. So if you think about travel, and travel broadly, is the risk is completely with the publisher in performance marketing. In other words, you know, when somebody uh, books a travel for six months' time, you'll get the money following consumption, not on booking. So the lapse time between booking and payment, not that I want to focus just on payments, but it is where the risk lies. So there's literally an eight, nine, ten month lapse, a lag here. If you think of other advertising channels, the risk rarely sits with the publisher alone. So in other words, if I, if I book yeah. media or if I, I use CPC or anything else, then the, the risk is, is very much balanced. They may not pay, they may go bust. But I know what I'm getting, I know when I'm getting it, in theory, I've invoiced it on 30 days or, or whatever I do. And I think that's one of the challenges that remains inside of this industry. I'm, I'm focusing on publishers a little bit, partly because where Adam uh, uh, has ended up. But it, I think it's one of those things that it's, we talk around, but we don't talk about. In other words, people know it's there, we know it's a challenge. The industry isn't set up to necessarily 
take any risk burden. It, it broadly sits with the publishers. Uh, I think yes and no, because I, th- I think two things. I think the risk is also driven by the economics, right? And there's the opportunity to do things like CPC in our space as well, where that sort of helps balance out the risk as well. And then also, if a publisher doesn't get paid, they hold the keys to say, all right, if I'm not getting paid, I'm gonna promote your competitor, or I'm gonna promote somebody else as well. So there are levers on both sides. Agreed, but there's still a time frame here, right? So especially in Mm -hmm. travel. So if I'm a a big travel company and I want to promote on TV, or if I want to promote and do tenancy, or want to promote the CPC, then the the fee is clear and is paid Mm -hmm. in the relative time frame. If I book a flight, through my cashback system. As a user, I have to wait until I've consumed it, which, which seems fair enough. But for the publisher now, they are taking all the risk if that doesn't go ahead, or if they've got to wait 10 months and their user gets a little bit irked, so why have I got to wait for this for so long? I do agree there's, there's other things they can do to mitigate, but the industry itself is set up like this. I think the time when what you're talking about was very evident was January 2020, when Yes. Publishers have done a lot of promotion of travel for travel in the summer of 2020. It just didn't happen, it so they didn't get paid. But that's the same thing as retail, which is you order a product and you return it. If you're not actually consuming the product, you shouldn't get the reward for it. And I think that's yeah, something that all uh, these businesses have to have to balance. And I agree with you there. And what you've made me think is publishers who are one-trick pony just using affiliate marketing, they should be aware of the risk taking by only having their revenue on one model. And that perhaps some of the larger publishers, so the cashbacks and the voucher code sites, are probably a little bit too dominant on the CPA model. Whereas the New York Times, let's say, coming into affiliate marketing now, they will have revenues from subscriptions, no doubt they do CPA, CPC, they've got tenancies, so they're less concerned that there's roughly a lot, a lot of remnant inventory goes towards uh, affiliate mm. because they've sold their prime real estate for as much as mm. possible and whatever they have left. Give or take a I few mean, great, great advertisers, of course. So perhaps the question to pose then is some of the challenges of the affiliate industry because too many of the large players are dominant on just the CPA model and therefore they demand the CPA model sometimes to have unrealistic terms associated with it. So a cashback site talking about what happens with browser extensions, which was something that was raised a few weeks ago. Cashback sites require very high quality tracking because they've got to reward their members and if they don't, an untracked sale has a $10 admin burden associated with it. And if they had a more diversified income stream, which is difficult if you run a cashback site, they'd be more forgiving of the challenges of advertisers and I think more forgiving of the challenges of networks. I guess this is where I think the networks sometimes are reluctant to talk about their challenges because it allows other people to sort of tease them open and say, well, that's not fair to us. And people don't necessarily want to open up that can of worms and it allows challenges to fester. I feel like, in my experience, there's usually transparency. I mean, you can't solve all the world's problems. <laughs> but 
I do feel like I've seen transparency and a desire to make things as efficient as possible between two sides yeah. of, of the two sided marketplace at the end yeah. of the day. So it's what we were talking about earlier. There's a lot of constituents that you have to sort of manage to. But it seems to me, if you, if you look at it kind of on the flip side over the last few years, even when I was at the network, I mean, there was top of funnel attribution logic, there's multi-touch attribution, coupon code attribution. Yeah. So I do think we're evolving in a good way as an industry to get to a place where we have options that allow this sort of exponential amount of partnerships that can be created to, to be managed in different ways. It just becomes complex because retailers A, B, and C, and then brands X, Y, and Z all might have different rules or different logic that they use. And so for a publisher, I've got to understand all of that and what I'm being committed. On top of that, you know, yeah. skews that I'm getting commissioned on and I'm not getting commissioned on short-term incentives and economics as well. So it just becomes a challenge, especially when you look at a brand and there's a thousand skews that maybe aren't commissionable. And I guess there they're being transparent about it, but now you have to manage to that as a publisher. So it's managing risk, isn't it? I think that's a very good point that Adam made earlier too. Mm -hmm. It's about managing that risk. And I think what's interesting listening to that is the business, the industry has evolved over all of our 20 years. And if you go back 20 years, it's a very different industry and a very different type of player in the industry. All of the brand being and all those things, it's, it's evolved, it's matured. But what do you think is next? What, how do you think this industry needs to evolve going forward? That's a big question. In what lane? I guess from the publisher perspective, I think we've seen evolution in the types of models that are coming online and I would expect to see more. I find it interesting to see technologies using the affiliate model from an economic perspective. So when you say technologies, but uh, I think about like the like the intentlies and upsellers of the world and folks yeah. like that. So the on-site techs. Yeah, and I'm sure there's other stuff out there. You know, some I've seen, some I yeah. probably haven't yet. I think publishers themselves are starting to set up diversification of customer acquisition mm -hmm. in traffic mm -hmm. sources and. I think that's going to be more and more important from an evolution perspective. Search, you have paid, you have social, you have influencer. Now I think there are other things to grapple with, new, new social channels, you know, threads. Is that going to yeah. matter? Is it not? I don't know. You know, results coming from places like ChatGPT, how is that going to play on yeah. The industry, I've been thinking about that a lot. So I think there's, there's an evolution that will happen on the publisher side, and I think there will, I don't know if I have a specific roadmap for you, but I do think what, what I was just talking about, which is this evolution of attribution and tracking, I think that will become more and more efficient. I think that will become something that becomes more commonplace to think about when you do an implementation of an affiliate program with your network. These are my options. This is how I want to manage it. I would hope and expect communication becomes a little more efficient as well. It's tough. I mean, it's tough. Yeah, it's it's a, big you're a publisher with 2,000 partners. It's very broad. You can't read 2,000 emails a day no. on changes and such, and then you're going to have to you know, please your, your end consumer as well. But it's a partnership-driven business. And to me, there's automation that can, will, and should, and has happened. And some of it is we've got to have these 
conversations as well if you really want to understand who your partner is and then have that discussion on what are the levers that you have to pull through the network that you're working with. So one of the things that we see is a lot of data exists but it's often out of date. So at Moonpool we talk about the half-life of tracking in that a tracking implementation did work or was correctly described and then over months and years an advertiser might add new pages to their site that aren't tagged properly or they might introduce a mobile app but they don't actually put the, the in-app tracking in. So the publisher thinks they're getting 5% on every sale for instance but actually that's not the case. And one of the challenges I see of running a network is being able to give accurate information to your publishers if you're not getting accurate information from your advertisers. Yeah, yeah. I think that to me is an operational challenge that would need to be solved, meaning I'm launching my mobile app. Someone somewhere in that workflow yeah. needs to say, okay, who are you using for mobile tracking? Or this is what, you know, if I'm network. Hey, this is the five options I have for you, or the three partners I have, and you need to consider this. And if you're not going to do it, that's relatively speaking fine. But now, from a communication perspective, you need to make sure that your your publishers know things slip through the cracks. I'm not saying that it's okay, but I think to me that's more of an operational challenge on what happens. You know, every time you add a, a new page, if you add a new page to a site. I presume if there's, and I might be describing this wrong from a technical perspective, but if you have a JavaScript on your page or on your site, on your header or footer or wherever it goes, and you add a retailer link, it turns into an affiliate link, right? On new new pages. Yeah. I got to imagine there's ways for that to happen as well, or opportunities for that when we add new pages from. But again, yeah. So I guess when I said adding a page, I was thinking of an advertiser adding a new category oh, to the site. So, yeah. But actually, I mean, it's as relevant for the publisher being diligent as the advertiser. So in a big advertiser, the affiliate manager is often not aware of how tracking necessarily works because it's complicated. Their advertiser might have done a specific implementation. And they sort of assume that it's all going to be tagged correctly, so whoever's in the e-com team tags it up correctly and one of the things that we're seeing at Moonpool is changes are made but user acceptance testing of that change of we've added a new category of TVs we think we've implemented the affiliate tracking but no one actually tests it well that's the key is the test and so that's the so that's the real operational step that's quite an interesting one how do you get the culture of those operational steps yeah yeah and I think it's Process, I think you're right, I think it's mm. testing. I know a lot of publishers will test mm. links periodically. There's automated ways to do it, mm. or you know, you have packages showing up at your door <laughs> all, yes. all the, every day, every week, every year, just to make sure that some of these things work. And also having a sort of a matrix, I guess, of what are all the different scenarios. I clicked on a link on my desktop. In these five browsers, I clicked on a mobile link and I have the app installed. I clicked on a mobile link and I don't have the app installed. You know, those types of things. We, we literally went through this recently with a very large e-com fashion company in the UK and exactly that test. Yeah. And 
the consistency of the results left much to be desired. And this is the problem. So, you know, we, and, and taking it more from a strategic top down view, because I think on an operational level, then, then everything matters and everything needs to be tested. But the, the industry needs to have a level of independence, auditing, and, and, and understanding. I think what we, what we are finding, even for myself, but I think certainly on a more broader level, is that the understanding of how tracking really works is very limited. A lot of publishers put up a link and it should work. Cool. And that's the entire process. And I think this but it should. Is, well, and it should work, of course. But then if you don't understand why it doesn't work, there's nothing you can do about it. And it's, it's really interesting talking to so many different people now of, of you know, the, the challenges that are both here and in the US are yet to come, the compliance challenges mm-hmm. of the SEDNAP or the CMPs. And we had a situation not so long ago where a business set up its CMP, decided it wasn't working properly, so it reset it up and killed every single piece of tracking in every single sector. So in everything from Google all the way through to affiliates. And it was spotted and it was fixed. And this is not going to be uncommon. This was a US company. It's not going to be uncommon. And I think that some of these compliance challenges that are coming mean that we need to raise the bar on how people understand the, the world of tracking, the world of compliance, and how they interact and how they overlap and what one's got to do about it. And I think as a industry, it's... It's been, I think you used the word fragmented earlier, and I, I think there's a massive truth in that. It's been very fragmented over the years. And that's not necessarily a great big criticism of how everybody acts. Naturally, you've got a lot of networks. They're not going to act the same. They're going to have different forms of tracking. They believe in different things. They're looking for USPs left, right, and center. If we, if we dumb it down too much, there is no such thing as a USP because it's simply we promote advertisers that publishers make money out of. It's so much more than that. I think this dumbed-down version of, of affiliate marketing sometimes can, can do us more damage than good. But I think there is this, this fragmentation of the industry, as there has been in many other industries before in digital. The advertising world is full of fragmented ideas. But having something going forward where it just feels like it, it, it needs to come together a little bit more, the understanding needs to be a little bit stronger. But it would be very interesting to see how that happens, especially with the challenges coming. Yeah, it's a competitive market, so you have multiple providers with their own tracking methodology, and at the end of the day for the brand or the retailer, they're going to choose the one that they think gives them the most flexibility, the most transparency, ease of installation, you know, does it make their partners happy or is it a challenge for them as well? What do the economics look like for them? So there's a lot of factors, mm-hmm. and I think the market will ultimately make that decision and say, this is where we have the least amount of loss. That's a statement. Yes. Uh, service and things like that become a factor as well, and additional tools and technology and integration with influencer or whatever it might be that the brand is looking for. But yeah, I think some standards totally make sense, and I think some testing protocols make a lot of sense as well. And I, I feel like over time we've gotten better with that. We just need to remain diligent in what we're doing. So if you run a network in 2023 and you've got a tracking methodology that is broadly the same as your competitors, but you use a very different language, would the industry benefit from everyone equalising the language so affiliate is better understood in the e-com department as an advertiser? Perhaps. I think I was just talking about this with someone recently. I think there is always going to be some discrepancy in nomenclature. I think we spent a few years 
sort of trying to redefine affiliate. Whether it's worth the juice is worth the squeeze, I think people will call it different things. But overall, it's not an unknown entity. Affiliate. It's not, but I mean, one thing that particularly comes to mind is the concept that server to server is different to JavaScript. A JavaScript approach is a first-party tracking that uses cookies where there's a perception that server to server doesn't use cookies, whereas in 99% of cases it does. Mm -hmm. And I talk to people who think because we're on server to server, we don't have to worry about any of these cookie issues. Mm -hmm. And if the industry had more consistent terminology of it is server to server setting a first party cookie or it's JavaScript setting a first party cookie. Over time, there'd be a better understanding of tracking amongst affiliate managers and then their colleagues at advertisers. So there might be fewer tracking issues because they're generally better knowledge and therefore the conversations could actually take place about what commissions do we pay in what scenario because we're not talking about whether it tracks or not, we're talking about how we grow the business. So first of all, I, I always say server to server because I'm just old school. I know that, that, that it's, it's, it's changed over time in terms of the implementations, but functionally yeah. it's sort of the same thing. But if you have a caller, yeah. gets you from point A to point B, but each of them have different features and functionality that the car company wants you to know about, whether it's the size of the engine, how fast it gets yeah. there, whatever it is. So but I, you I, just want it to work. If your car kept breaking down, you want it to work, but there might be specific things that you're looking for in yeah. it, and that's where the networks come in and say, well, ours does this, and maybe that's why they call it different things mm -hmm. for product marketing. I, I think the competitive point you raise is actually one of the challenges. In, in a very positive way that we have a lot of networks that are very competitive with each other and then equalizing all of the language to your point would actually nullify some of that competition. But that's the, that's the point I was trying to make earlier is the competitive nature of the market almost forces everyone to continue to be better. Yep. And I think we've seen it. We've seen it over the years. I've seen it in, in my yeah. experience as well. well. You look at the landscape and then of change. Third party validation as well yeah. that sort of comes into play mm -hmm. also. So I do feel like maybe I'm just, I don't know, maybe I'm glass half full on things, but I do think that as an industry we are rowing in the right direction. I, I think that's very true and I think if you look at the landscape of the networks and the change over 20 years, over 10 years, probably over the last five years and how the different a number one player has changed over that time and they've all been around in that time in the main so you know over the last 10 years I don't think there's any new 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 network that's kind of come out of nowhere I think Partnerize is 10 12 years old now there's, yeah, but I, can't, I, think I can't think of one that's turned up out of nowhere and taken up the spot and Impact of course has been around for a while but then changed its model or developed its model and then developed its sales cycle and here we are with the number one player in, in the US is, is now Impact and the way that they they've been a SaaS platform it's developed the commercials of the industry too. And, you know, there's now a little bit more movement towards that sort of model, a SaaS model over a, a overall model. And that's a great point. We talk about tracking a lot, and to me that is the, the lifeblood of our industry, making sure that publishers get compensated for sales if they're tracking for advertisers, but for an advertiser, they're rightfully looking at the economics. Absolutely. So yeah, absolutely. As well. And there's trade-offs to make, and maybe yep. I'm a retailer with tens of thousands of SKUs, with a thumb, maybe a small DTC brand with five SKUs, I don't, I don't need the, the Ferrari tracking, and I don't have the budget to spend for it, so I'm going with a more simpler 
approach, but that's what I need today. Mm -hmm. Publishers have to understand, and there might be limitations on the advertiser side as well, to our earlier point, communication around, around how all that works. So I think the economics, as well as the technology, in some cases, as well as the service, uh -huh. all become a factor. I know in my days at Rackington, you know, we had a fantastic service team. I still think they have a lot of great folks there. And there are some brands and retailers where the most important thing to them is service. service and then the analytics that come with it, the, the data analysis that I get from my, my analytics team, my mm -hmm. service team, those things are, are important as well. So it's a balance. Yeah. Like any, any decision or anything that you're purchasing, there's multiple factors. And I don't think you're being glass half full, by the way. I think you're reflecting it very well. This industry, and, and you know, we ask questions that sometimes may sound like we don't think this, but that's not true. We all know the industry has moved on at leaps and bounds in this time frame. But there's one thing where we keep cycling around, and you've used the word today, and, and it immediately it triggers in my head, and, and everybody says attribution. I think that's maybe one area. We, we've had a few of these now, and a great conversation recently with Jim Nichols about attribution. Right, and he's very, very passionate. It, we're doing better. It is being better, but the last click alone is often part of the problem. And, and Jim made this really interesting point. I didn't think of it like this until I spoke to him. And he said, "We don't actually get enough. Ben we don't get enough credit for what we do as an industry because we're only last click in, in most times." So actually, we may drive lots and lots and lots of traffic. We may drive lots of content and information. And then social nicks it. I mean, you could argue the opposite too, of course, but we, we actually contribute a great deal as an industry to a lot of brand positioning, a lot of brand awareness, a lot of, of the journeys that happen prior to the final sale. It could be driven in many ways by what a lot of affiliate does. Mm -hmm. And the attribution model hasn't yet quite cracked it. We haven't yet found the answer. And it probably needs to be independent of the networks, although I know that you know, AWIN have theirs, and, and that's a very strong system, and it's now inside of their platform. But I, I don't know, I mean, you've been around for so long, I'm sure, where attribution's been mentioned many, many times, and, and it's a bit like the year of the mobile. When it happens, we'll probably have missed it, it's already happened. But Jim's point was also that if you understand attribution, and you therefore give more credit to affiliate, then the CMOs will have more respect for the affiliate channel and actually the affiliate channel, rather than growing at a healthy 10% year on year, might all of a sudden have a few years of 30% growth. And I guess that's where I think it's interesting that the networks can always improve their operational thing and that's one network then saying our operational approach is better than the other. But if all the networks got together and described the channel consistently and talked to CMOs saying, we want to talk about how this channel works with paid search, how it works with social, we're very happy for you to look at the maths of the channel. We want to be on that media buying schedule. We want our BI to be consistent with the, the BI from the other channels. Would that give affiliate more growth over the next two to five years? Yeah, there's always opportunity for growth. I would say there's a lot there to sort of unpack, but I think you're right, Steve, but I also think the publishers are talking about it. They're not just sitting there in some binary state waiting for traffic to come to them. They're doing stuff to optimize traffic mm -hmm. to them, but you mentioned social or 
paid. There are publishers who act as paid search agencies. There are mm -hmm. publishers who do forms of audience extension with media buying and things like that. And I think that does help expand the message. And I think the publishers, as strategic partners to their brands and advertisers, are bringing these opportunities, provided that the, they're getting a getting an ear from the, the their partners, the advertisers, they're the ones who, from an attribution perspective, I think, are facilitating that conversation. Because when you think about the publishers in the network, they're all different. Yes. They're all different. So, yeah. So Chris Tratius at Moonville talks about the affiliate model, not the affiliate channel, because there are lots of different yeah. sorts of publishers. I would say the affiliate platform. Yeah. And I think it's, you've made a really interesting point there, especially when you get to the larger publishers, you've got those that are media owners, you've got those that are, are doing essentially paid search arbitrage, as it used to be called, and actually it's how does the model work for each of those, and perhaps the networks need to view these independently, and how do we optimise our network for this sort of publisher? Yeah, so if there is actually anyone who's listened to me before, <laughs> I've said this a lot, right? Affiliates a platform, you have multiple partner types on your platform. Each publisher is a strategic partner and you treat it like a portfolio. Yeah. That is the bottom line. And as a publisher, I'm going to the brand and saying, I can do this for you. I could drive top of phone traffic. Bottom of funnel, I could find this type of customer or that type of customer or this demographic or this geo, and I could augment it with paid search, paid social. We optimize for X, Y, or Z. We have a huge newsletter following. Those are all moving pieces that you sort of manage as a, a brand or an agency when you're working with your publishers and understanding what levers you have to pull. But I guess listening to that, that publisher probably needs 20 people managing its affiliate revenue. So that's a publisher with in excess of a million dollars, two million dollars affiliate income. I mean, that's what's sort of, I guess, kept me in business for the last few years. <laughs> but theoretically, yes, but there's ways to do it. You know, everything is a stepped approach. You don't, you don't want to, what's the quote, boil the ocean. There's, you yeah. take a little bit at a time. And I also think when we think about attribution, sort of shifting gears a little bit, it just comes down to consumer behavior. Affiliate or affiliate models have done a great job of creating opportunity for consumers to save money, research product, get cash back, or points like we were talking about earlier, or numerous other things that have changed the way that consumers shop online. And from the consumer perspective, they're not thinking about attribution, right? Yeah, absolutely. They're not. thinking, I want to buy a bicycle rack for the back of my car so mm -hmm. I can stop trying to fit it in the trunk. <laughs> and yeah. what's the best one? Did my research. There's some niche sites I found. Of course, I looked and there were affiliate links. <laughs> yeah. But I'm also looking at, is there a coupon for this brand? Or how much cash back is available? And I tend to think sometimes that we sit in this inner circle of affiliate and so we know in top cash back, et cetera, et cetera. But I think customers are getting savvier as well and looking at where they can get the best option opportunity as well when yeah, they purchase. It, it's, it's really well made out. I think we may have mentioned before, sometimes we know too much. 
and actually that drives us as if we were a consumer. But if you look at the millions of people that actually are just consumers, their behaviours have got nothing to do with commission rates and, and attribution. Their behaviours are exactly what you said. Research, find, purchase. Indirectly commission rates because they might be looking at cash it, back. Sure. But they're not thinking about not, the way. They don't think commission rates, they think so about it's it as not, like cash. So it's all affiliate and yeah, we need to figure out how to compensate appropriately. And I think we're doing a little bit better job of that. There's publishers who might offset with a flat fee because they know they're losing traffic to a more quote down funnel publisher. Mm -hmm. But those are some of the steps I think we're taking to move things in the right direction. I'd be curious if when we measure the industry from a dollars and cents perspective, I don't know if um, tenancy or flat fees are even included. When you look at tenancies and, and going all the way back to you know our backgrounds as, as agency people and, and buying in different ways, different sectors, um, when you look at tenancies, even if it's not measured, directly dollar for dollar. What the affiliate channel does open up is the conversation. It enables that conversation. A lot of these publishers wouldn't have these relationships with these brands without the, the network effectively supporting them along the way. And they can now have these tenancy conversations. It's a huge thing, right? Well, that's just functionally one of the beautiful things about the channel. Any of us can start a publisher site and have a relationship, theoretically a relationship with some of the largest retailers in the world, mm -hmm. 24 hours or less. That's pretty amazing. Very <laughs> powerful. scales mm -hmm. as well. When there are publishers, potential publishers who reach out to me and want to understand a little bit more about why affiliate, and you start to explain, well, you could reach out to these 100 brands or retailers and you can try to find the right contact, and you know, yeah. reach out to them, send an email, a call, whatever, and then let's say that works for all 100 of them, and then you have a contract with each of them, which is probably be different, and then you have to figure out tracking, bring it back to the network, that all happens in that, again, that nucleus of, yep. of our business. And I think that is a really powerful bit of the nucleus. And oh yeah. And I guess that does that nucleus actually orchestrate the conversation or should it drop out of the way for the conversation when a publisher gets large enough and the advertiser's sort of happy, should the network just allow those two to talk in the confidence that they're going to come up with bigger, better ideas and promotion? I talk. I mean, there's no other person yeah. there's a restriction around that. Um, no, I guess I wasn't sort of meaning it from a restriction, but an an encouragement and an acknowledgement that that isn't almost the network's role. The network, you know, you did this nucleus with your hands. That the they, the nucleus is the really important part. The physicist in here will talk about the electrons going around the nucleus. Is what I cannot what, do a science podcast. Okay. But at what point should the affiliate model the platform? say, this is what we can do efficiently. It becomes more efficient now just to let the publisher and the advertiser talk and come up with their own initiatives. Whereas I think some smaller publishers, certainly in the UK, feel it, having a conversation with a brand just doesn't happen. The brand doesn't respond to them, and even the network doesn't respond to them about wanting to talk to the advertiser. Depends what the service is, so right in the SaaS models, and the service doesn't exist inside of the network; it exists outside of the network. 
where it's more of the traditional models, if, if I may call it that, then yeah, I think there's, there's probably people inside of the network where they try to orchestrate things. Yeah, I think it's a, a managed service within right. the, the networks and for the SaaS platforms, usually the agency, or to your point before, maybe indeed, you know, a handful of yeah. folks on your team. But I think, I always tend to think of the channel platform, whatever we're calling it, benefiting from increased transactional volume. The more transactions that we can get through our ecosystem, the better for everybody, the value of the channel, the recognition, if you will, that you get from CMOs, mm -hmm. that rising tide lifts all ships if we can drive more transactional volume through the channel. To me, that's really where the opportunity comes to. You know, you talked about response from brands, smaller publishers. That to me is a whole other challenge that we need to solve for. It's hard, it's hard to get the attention sometimes of a brand when you're just starting out. I tend to preach that everyone should take the call at some point or another, because even if it's not a good partner, you might learn something, meet somebody. That's the beauty of the channel, that the publishers are so differentiated, and a lot of times, Affiliate, like we were just talking about, gives scale to these publishers to get into the channel. So by doing so, you have a lot of innovative models who are saying, look, I'm not going to try to make these 100 or 1,000 partnerships uniquely, individually on my own. I'm going to use the affiliate channel. Point being is there's a lot of innovation that comes in the door. So even if it's what appears to be a small publisher, this is me on my soapbox once again saying, take the call because you never know. That could be the next honey or the next wire cutter. Maybe it's not, but it's the catalyst for something new or someone who's going to be somewhere else at some point that can help. Yeah, I think you've actually ended up there with a very nice summary of the opportunity for the channel and what it can do well. Have you got any other comments, wisdom, things that you think <laughs> the channel should do better? Any funny stories that we could share? Honest, I can't share any. <laughs> They're that funny. Okay. <laughs> I, I will share one talking about taking the call. So, national telecom provider in the UK is called British Telecom. In my buyout days, affiliate networking, probably 2004, we got a call from British Telecom sort of saying we want, we want to up the game with our affiliate program. And we said, well, you know, what about your existing provider? You know, I thought you were quite happy with them. Said, oh, they won't take our call. And it transpired that they thought it was about the actual physical phones in their office <laughs> <laughs> the call was about. And we ended up winning a top 10 company on the back of answering the phone and taking the call. You never know, right? Yeah. I always tell people, I, uh, a couple of years ago, I'll try to condense the story, but catching up with someone I knew, introduced me to someone else, hey, you should talk to this person. I spoke to that person, and there was really, there was nothing, there's no there there, as they say, but it was just networking and, and meeting people, and then they introduced me to someone, which turned into a potential client, who introduced me to someone else, who yeah. introduced me to what turned out to be a client of like over two years for me, all because I started, you know, on this side of the dominoes falling. I yeah. just catching up with someone and hearing what they were up to. I think this person had started a new, new company, and I was just interested to hear. And there was no, you know, not a sales pitch or anything. Just catching up and 
take that call, it, it, it could lead to good things and nothing else along the way. You're, you're picking up little nuggets. I had the old president of Linkshare, uh, Steve Denton, who's just such a great leader. And he always used to say, you know, you're going to go to a conference or sit in a meeting, you're not going to remember every single thing you hear or everything on a PowerPoint slide, but you can always pick up a couple of nuggets along the way. And to me, that always resonated because that sort of helps build the foundation over time. So to me, that's how maybe that wisdom. Not, yeah, someone else has great wisdom. So, yeah, I think that's great. Qualify. Someone else has great good. wisdom, but I pass it. Affiliate marketing is a people business. It is. It's yeah. great. It's really, I love when you you know go to conferences and it's almost like a, a reunion of sorts. And Absolutely. In this room, you know, former yeah. competitors working together now. It's great. Yeah, no, it's fantastic. I think on the basis it's a people business, we'll wrap up and we're recording this at ASE, so we're all going to go and meet some more people. <laughs> awesome. Thanks for having me. Appreciate Thanks, guys. It. That's great. Thank you. Thank you for joining Adam, Mark and Stephen for this Affiliate Pub Takeaway. And watch out for the next in the series, wherever you get to your podcasts.